right. How you guys doing? I get to um, come speak in the school tomorrow. My team gets to be there tomorrow. Uh, we have an amazing team with us. We have the nations with us. Uh, who, who likes other countries? Okay, all right, good. We're, we're in a good place. Uh, we have Germany, South Africa, Australia, and Finland. So that's pretty cool. So they're, uh, they're actually in third year, all four of them. Uh, so this is their third year school ministry. And uh, we're just going to have them have some fun and pray for you guys. So if you need prayer for healing, need an encouraging word, they'll be up here after the service to pray for you guys. And then I just asked them, too, if they have anything uh, just corporately for the church or for the region. And um, do anybody have anything? Well, come on over here. So here's South Africa coming up. <laughs> Go get your place. This is my beautiful daughter, Brielle. You want to come up here? Can you say hi? Hi. Can you say hi again? Say, say hi. <laughs> say hi. So cute. Good morning, everyone. So um, I was just praying for your church, and I straight away saw a picture of a bell ringing, a church bell ringing. And um, and I was in Kuwait in the Middle East, and you know when the bell rings, it's the call to prayer. And I just felt like God is is about to do a new thing here in this region. I feel like this actual place, Medford, has been highlighted, and I, I know that it is very close to other um, other little towns. And I feel like this. Oh man. <laughs> this town is going to influence a lot of um, a lot of other towns, and it's it's going to overflow from here. And I heard um, Isaiah forty three nineteen, and it says, "Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive and know it? And will you not give heed to it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert." And I just feel like God is saying, "You just turn your eyes to Him." And he's going to make a way in the wilderness. He marches before you in the wilderness. And there's something so powerful about prayer and this house. So I'm super excited for you guys. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, that was a good word. Anybody else from our team? Well, I just heard for the, the region, like, is this a very, like, Yesterday we were in Ashland, and it was really like the spiritual atmosphere here, like a lot of, what is it called, like new agey stuff. And I felt like this region is ripe for the supernatural, because it's open for the spiritual. And I feel like, um, you know the saying, like where sin abounds, grace abounds? I feel like where, where there's already a connection for the, the spiritual, actually there's breakthrough in for the supernatural. And I feel like that this church, there will just be such a breakout, breakthrough in, in miracles and seeing people like step into a um, supernatural lifestyle. Yeah. Hi, I'm Julia. I just felt like this church has a real gift for opening up hearts. And I've, I heard the Lord say that this is a place for the heart. And I feel like God is opening up hearts here and relationships and that he's going to start to do even deeper work in relationships here amongst the church. But also, I see you guys even equipping and training people on how to have healthy relationships. I see a lot of teaching coming out of this church, and I see God just anointing that and that this is almost even going to be a gathering place and a place for hearts to be healed. Yeah, I felt that you guys are very powerful intercessors. Like what you're doing right like here right now, it's opening up a lot of things in the city. And when we went there yesterday, we God was so cool. He just he gave us opportunities to go and pray for people. So we went to pray for hi. Um, so we went to pray for a few people that had their like leg leg was broken and they were really touched and they were a little like they were like, Oh, that's weird, but they kinda let us do it and they're like yeah we really feel like this positive energy from you so they all were saying the same thing they're like we feel the positive energy that you guys carry 
And then I was like walking and I was telling the guys, I was like, I really feel like we need to tell someone about Jesus. And as soon as I said that, we went to this coffee shop and there was this lady there. And I was like, I need to tell her. And then I was like, okay. So we kind of started talking and it was crazy. She almost started crying. And she was like, this morning I had this encounter with, you know, like kind of with God. And I feel like there's a lot of the angelic present. And they're just so ready. Like everyone's so ready. And she didn't accept Jesus right there, right now. But she was like, I'm going to go home and I'm going to speak to Jesus. So, yeah, I just wanted to share that. Like they're so ready. Like they're hungry and they want more. So, Love it. Well, um, we have uh, a couple of resources in the back for you guys. Uh, I wrote a book called The Risk Factor, amazing book on stepping out in faith and seeing like healing, the prophetic, evangelism. I have a whole chapter uh, with my junior high kids in there. I was a junior high pastor for a number of years, and uh, uh, they would see people get up out of wheelchairs, deaf ears, uh, blind eyes. We had one kid walk on water during a beach baptism, which I think I shared uh, when I was here in July, and so that, like, uh, there's a whole chapter about them, like, they taught me what it looks like to live in the supernatural, I mean, you know, it's pretty crazy, because they didn't really have any, like, disappointment, discouragement, like, they read, they read the Bible, and they're like, yeah, we're gonna go and do it, and I remember one time, uh, I mean, it was such an honor to lead these 10 to 13 year olds, and uh, it was crazy. I mean, like, you just never knew what was going to happen. I mean, miracles that were happening in Walmarts and the grocery stores, they would literally beg us to go out in the streets. And uh, it was so much fun. And they knew that God was so much fun and with so much power and so much love. And so uh, one, one afternoon I was prepping for, like, a sermon. Uh, it was a Wednesday afternoon. We had Wednesday night youth group. And so I was just praying, God, what do you want me to speak on? Where do you want me to take our group? And I start hearing this banging, and I'm just hearing this, like, you know, like somebody's, like, taking a hammer or something, and I'm like, man, there shouldn't be any construction going on right now. What's, what is that noise? And so it was really distracting, so I'm like, I got to go out and figure out, like, everyone usually is gone. It's 4 o'clock. So I walk in, and I go around a couple hallways, and I catch three of my junior high kids where one of them has the Bible open, uh, reading where Jesus walked through walls, while the other two are saying, God, give us the anointing to walk through walls, and they're, they're banging their head <laughs> trying to walk through the wall. And I just stood there and wept and said, man, what an honor. Like, they're not doing this to get attention. They're doing this when no one else is around. Like, they like, authentically, genuinely just want more of God, and they're able to take time just to say, we want to just go for it. We want to see the things that it says in the Bible. We want to see it become, because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we're talking about Acts, uh, so it's pretty cool. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And uh, so we'll, we'll jump into Acts for a second. My mom is the creative arts pastor at Bethel, and she had an encounter with Jesus where he was really, really happy. And so she uh, painted it. And, uh, and so this is in the back as well, if you want happy Jesus. Uh, that, there's happy Jesus. He's, he's doing well. Um, all right, so let's, let's go for it. You guys ready? Have you guys been having fun in Acts? Yeah, I would read this when I was 17 and 18, and I was like, you know what? I'm going for it. Like, there's, if, if he really is the same yesterday, today, and forever... I want to just see God show up like crazy. And, uh, and so, anyways, I, I know that you guys talked a little bit about Peter and John going to the crippled man in the gate called Beautiful, but I just want to take the back end, uh, the aftermath, and it's intriguing that that miracle turned a city upside down. And uh, um, that one miracle added thousands to the kingdom. Thousands of people got saved because of that one miracle. And so when I go and do evangelism, sometimes I'll pray, God, give me the key that will unlock this city. Because sometimes there's one act, a few acts that will actually unlock a city and make it an open heaven where people just come into the kingdom. And so this is one of those acts. And I love this in verse 13 of chapter 4. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, I don't know if that's like a, uh, a compliment or <laughs> untrained men. They marveled, and they realized that 
they had been with Jesus and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they, con- they conferred among themselves saying, what shall we do to, to these men? For indeed that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it, but so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that for now on they speak to no man in this name. So pretty crazy, right? They're, they're getting, they want to shut this thing down. They, they know it's a miracle. It's, it's, you know, there's the guy standing with them. They all knew who this guy was. For 40 years he had you know, been there in the gate called Beautiful. And like, hey, so the, the, they can't deny that, but they're trying to not let this thing go further. And they're threatening them, which is you know, pretty intriguing. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom the, this miracle of healing had been performed. Pretty awesome, right? It's, it's in, interesting, untrained, uneducated. And we go, we, we just take a glimpse at 1 Corinthians of a very trained person of Paul who was, you know, the chief of the, of the Pharisees and was incredibly educated is he says this in 1 Corinthians, which is this famous, famous scripture, chapter 2, where he's evaluating coming from Athens and only a few people getting saved, where he came in man's wisdom. He came with per- persuasive words, and he didn't, he's like Monday morning quarterbacking the situation of like, man, that didn't carry that much fruit. And he reevaluates and says, this is where I need to live, right here. This is, and this is really a great commentary on the church of Acts. They lived in this place. And, you know, and it's to take the comparison of they were untrained, you know, they were uneducated men presenting the gospel. And, uh, and so here's Paul, who's very trained, very qualified. And he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. To know nothing but Christ crucified. I just want to know Jesus and him crucified. That is the only, that is the only form of education that's needed to present the gospel. To, to, to live a life like in the Acts church. That these guys were untrained, uneducated, and all they knew was Jesus and him crucified, and it turned cities upside down. Like, our gospel should be turning cities upside down. Our, our, our knowing Jesus and him crucified should be turning cities upside down. And so, I love that, that, that Paul addresses this. I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Pretty epic. I love that. You know, I've, I've loved doing evangelism, uh, and I've seen where you see one miracle and it opens up the atmosphere. We were in uh, Israel. We were in Jerusalem in, like, the actual holy city, and it's illegal to share the gospel with minors in Israel. So anyone's, you know, 18 and younger, it's, you'll get thrown in jail. So there's, like, undercover police. There's, poli- there's a lot of police that are wearing just regular clothes that are watching, monitoring, not just that, but other things as well. And uh, um, my wife and I, this was in 2008. I mean, it's a pretty crazy place, Israel, in the sense of everyone is, like, equipped for battle. Uh, I mean, it's a whole nation trained for war. It's pretty crazy. But, uh, but anyways, I mean, while we were there doing a healing night, there was a, a Muslim man that ran about a, a quarter mile down the street, ran into a, an outpost, the Jaffa Gate, in, uh, in going into the Holy City, and blew up like five people. And that was just a quarter mile down the road while we were preaching. We heard the explosion. I mean, like, that's, 
that's just what you get in Israel, you know, and, and it was nuts. So we were in Israel doing an outreach, like praying for people. And I went over to this man who was crippled, and uh, he had uh, gout. He had a number of different things, rheumatoid arthritis. He was a beggar there for over 10 years. People knew him. And it was like, you know, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give to you. Get up and walk. It was like one of those moments where the power of God came. He got completely healed, and he jumped up and started dancing and just worshiping Jesus, screaming Jesus. Now, this drew a lot of attention. And what was cool is I didn't have to preach the gospel. He was demonstrating the gospel, demonstrating the goodness of God, demonstrating the love of Jesus, screaming and worshiping Jesus. And so all these minors, all these different people started coming over, all these youth, and everyone started getting saved. And then we see the undercover police, like they break out their guns and all this stuff, and we're just like, okay, this is really, really sketchy. It's scary. And, uh, and you know, but they just kind of watched and we saw all these people, but there was a moment of like, I could choose to live in fear. I could choose to, what's going to happen? Maybe I get put in prison. Maybe, and I was like, that was one thought, but an overwhelming thought that if I paid attention to grew was, this is God. And with that, paying attention to that, giving, you know, my attention and my focus and what God was doing, it began to bring faith into my life of I'm not scared of going to prison. Like, this is so God that I'm going to keep saying yes to what God's doing. And I was very, you know, fortunate I didn't go to jail that time. But, but it was crazy. One miracle opened the doorway for, for so many lives to be transformed and changed. And we saw, like, I mean, anywhere from, like, 12 to 15 people get saved. It was awesome. Is it, you guys okay? Is the microphone working? <laughs> 12, 15 people got saved. Like, that's pretty awesome. How's it, you guys doing okay? I'm, I'm Chad. How's it going, everybody? You know, um, I love that you guys are going through Acts. Uh, I love, uh, where, you know, it says that they're all in one accord and they share their possessions. You know, I, I was a part of the vineyard in Calvary. I grew up in Costa Mesa and Huntington Beach, California. And so uh, I was right down the street from the mothership of Calvary. And, and then also my parents and I were involved in the vineyard in the 80s. And so we had this one night at the vineyard, I remember as uh, I was in high school, where we shared actually all of our possessions. We said, okay, we're, well, we didn't share all of our possessions. We came, and we, like, gave away things, and we just brought up on the stage. And it was about, you know, 500 of us, and the whole place was just full. And there was people that brought cars, there was people that brought lawnmowers, people that brought, uh, I mean, I brought fins to swim in. Um, I'm, I'm a bodyboarder, body surfer, surfer, waterman, love to be in the water, so I donated some fins. I was in high school, so, like, that was a big, you know, moment for me, you know? So... <laughs> Um, and I had been praying for a year, God, I want to get a bike. My bike was stolen, and I was like, man, I, I, I have a car now, but I would love to get a bike. I, was, I think I was 17 at the time, and, uh, and so I threw my fins up on the stage, and it was beautiful. People that, that there was a guy that had his car repossessed a week earlier because he just was falling on hard times financially, and someone gave him a car. So, I mean, like, it was just so beautiful and such a a kind of a window into the Acts church of just believers coming together, being in community and sharing their possessions, saying this is where you need, like, okay, here we go, here's a car, here's a bike. And I ended up getting a bike that night. And I remember just so excited, just like thinking like, man, is this what it feels like, you know, with the Acts church? And so, anyways, I love that you guys are going after Acts. And, uh, you know, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we read through Acts, we read through history, and it's amazing, it should like stir our faith, what's possible, what's, but what does it look like for us today? What is, if, like the Acts church was going on today, what would it look like? You know, and, and that, that also, what does it look like with God breathing on your life? I mean, for example, I'm on a journey. Randy actually asked me to share this little snippet, but uh, is about my whole thing with intercession, which I'm just going to try to tie into this whole thing. But 
just, uh, um, I, he really wanted me to share about this. And uh, I had a, I got woken up in the middle of the night last May, and the Lord said, Chad, you're way more of an intercessor than you give yourself credit. See, I, any intercessors in the room? Okay, so, so growing up in the church, I've, seen, I've kind of seen intercession like very, very good, but sometimes very interesting. I mean, you know, like, like uh, uh, can I just share a, an embarrassing story, like at my expense? So when I was 18 years old, I got hit, what was going on at Brownsville, and uh, I went there to Pensacola, Florida when I was 17, and I went on a journey of saying, God, I want more of you. And I went to, like, the craziest meetings you could possibly imagine. I mean, I went to who's who in the zoo to have them lay hands on me. And I wanted to get, like, slain in the Spirit or baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that just never, that never, you know, I, I would, like, go to the man of God and grab me by the head. And he would be, you know, doing this. And I would just, you know, suddenly wanting to be thinking about God, like, I'm doing a tug-of-war match with this guy or something. And. <laughs> And then all my friends would go down. I'm like, oh, did God touch you? And they're like, oh, no, we did it. You know, we just fell because everyone else was falling. And I was always the last one. I mean, I never fell, like, because I wanted the real thing. And I'm not saying I, I was on my own journey of receiving and learning, you know, not to be, we would call them HTRs, hard to receivers, you know, like, like, you know, so I was on my own journey. And, uh, but man, it'd be so crazy because if you're the last, if you're one of the few people standing, that's when like a little door opens up under the stage and all the intercessors come crawling out and they like start praying for you, like, you know, and, and all stuff. I mean, so, I mean, this has been my experience of, of intercessors. And, you know, like, so this really happened. I, it was, uh, I was 18 years old. I was in Los Angeles. I grew up in Huntington Beach, so it's an hour away. And I'm in high school, and I'm, I'm eating a lot. I love to eat, love, love food. And uh, so I usually get, you know, a second dinner in at like 10 o'clock at night. So it's a like 11.30, and I'm thinking in and out is about a half an hour away from here. They close at 1, so I kind of probably have to wrap this up in like a half an hour or so. So the intercessors just jump on me. And I'm like, okay, this could take a while, you know, like... <laughs> And, uh, um, I mean, you know, those, I love the intercessors. You guys pray way longer than anyone else. I love it. So it's like, yeah, see, my wife and myself, we're both intercessors. I'm just like, anyways. So, yeah, yeah, um, short, simple, powerful. So, so anyways, I'm there receiving, and they've got a bucket. They've got their flags. They've got, you know, the oil, they've got the shofar, they've got it all. They've got, they've got Jehovah Rapha over my head, a lion with fire coming out of its nostrils. It's epic. The Lion of Judah is like ready to kill. And so anyways, um, I'm like, you know, God, I just want to get slain. In the I, just, I want you. I want more of you. I mean, that's what I equated slain in the spirit of is that you get so much of God that your physical body can't take it and you end up going to the ground like, yeah, sign me up that because I've had a measure of his presence where I could feel it standing, and that's epic and amazing. But I could have way more where my body can't even take. Like, yeah, that sounds awesome. That sounds like more. I want more. And and so, anyways, um, so they're about half an hour in, and I'm going, I gotta get out of here. Now this this is where it gets embarrassing. This is where this is where I throw myself under the bus. So I decided. And I've been around it my whole life, church, so I've seen deliverances. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to fake a deliverance. <laughs> like, I, I, I was just trying to think of a win-win scenario, okay? <laughs> like, these poor intercessors have been going to town, like, for half an hour. And I'm going, you know what? I'm going to create a win-win situation right here. I'm going to fake a deliverance. Now, I know, like, do not, I do not recommend that. Don't do this. But I just went, they had the bucket and the whole thing. And I just go, there's something inside of me. And then I like, you know, kind of spit in the bucket and I'm like, there it is, you know, and, and they're all excited celebrating that I just got delivered from something. And, um, and then I went to in and out and ate. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah, there was not much of a point to that story. Just, uh, um, that was, you know, so anyways, the Lord wakes me up in May and says, Chad, you're way more of an intercessor than you give yourself credit. And I want you to begin to discover and experiment in new ways to do intercession that there's going to be something that you carry that's going to awaken your generation to intercession, that they would begin to discover what intercession looks like for them. 
So you were born in California. You've lived in California most of your life. I want you to stand up paddleboard the coast of California. So that should be fun. So I'm going to stand up paddleboard the coast of California, and um, we'll be doing prayer meetings. We'll, uh, be do we'll be on social media inviting the nations to pray for California, inviting our nation to pray for California. And this is me stepping into intercession, and it looks maybe a little different, but I would just encourage you, what does it look like for you to step into intercession? And uh, we're all called to be intercessors, just like we're all called to be an evangelist. We're all called to move in the prophetic. We're all called to move in healing. Some might come more easier than others, and that's where the Risk Factor book comes. It really helps, like, I'm, I'm really, you know, like, I love healing. I've given my life to healing. And Julia moves in deliverance like crazy. And so I always thought I was a good husband when we start, you know, we've been married now 11 years. So when we first got married, I thought I was a really good husband when somebody was, like, manifesting demons around me. I'd be like, oh, Jules, this is perfect. Like, go to town. Like, go and have some fun, you know? Because if I saw somebody in a wheelchair, I was, like, running to them to go pray for them. And when I saw the people that needed, you know, had some Klingons or had some friends, I'm like, hey, Jules, like, this is perfect. Like, this is where you shine. This is where you come alive. This is one of your anointings. I think it was year three or, or two that we were married with the Lord's like, Chad, do you realize, like, you're not supposed to just depend on, you know, Julia's grace and what she's moving in, that you're supposed to grow in deliverance as well. And so in that season, I started coming in contact with a lot of people that needed deliverance. Like, like before worship, I love to get around people and be like, hey, you ready? Let's do this thing. You know, like I give them a little head nod. I'm like, let's go. Let's go after God together. Like, you know, my little crew, my little area. I'm like, let's do this, you know. And, and so I'm doing that. And this woman looks at me and she goes, Bleh! and just starts throwing up everywhere. And I'm like, Julia, Julia. And, and then Julia, you know, uh, took care of that. And then like the next day, the next night, we're at another church. And the drummer, I'm, like, doing the nod thing, like, all stuff. And I look at the drummer, I'm like, yeah, let's do this, you know? And, and I love to connect with the worship team and stuff. And just, you know, if I'm the speaker, if I'm speaking, like, just go for it. Just take us somewhere, you know? Who cares about me speaking? Just take us somewhere. And uh, so I look at the drummer, and the drummer just goes, <laughs> yeah, the drummer. Yeah, 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 this was in Brazil. And, uh, and so I'm all, Julia, Julia. <laughs> And they had, and then, and it had like the, you know, this deal, and and you know, like through the first song, you don't hear the drums, and you see the drumsticks fly up in the air, and he's on the ground like shaking, and Julia's like pounding on his chest. I mean, it wasn't violently, but I mean, you were, you were just, you know, you were just, you were just being loving, just, <laughs> yeah, you know, you weren't like hitting him, but you were, you were moving in radical authority, which was pretty epic. And then song two comes, and there he is on the drums, and he looks at me, and I do the head nod, and he's like. I'm doing great. But then the Lord's like, Chad, what are you doing? I'm putting people in your pathway, and you can't hit the default button of grabbing somebody else who's walking in greater authority or greater, like, like in the sense of you have to grow. Like, it, it's fun to grow. And, and, you know, healing might be more natural to you, or the prophetic might be more natural, and like intercession, like, oh, I don't know, that seems weird, whatever. Yeah, it is weird. It's so much fun. It's so much fun. It's just partnering with heaven, partnering with Jesus. So anyways, Acts. <laughs> I want us to focus on the disciples' response to what happened with Peter and John. And uh, you can just turn with me to chapter 4, verse 29. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness that they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Isn't that amazing? So, I mean, it, you know, you go back to, to Acts 4, verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, so there's the boldness. So the disciples, like Peter and John, are, you know, in jail. They, they don't know what's going to happen. They don't know, you know, if, if Peter and John are going to be let out or, you know, what's going on. And they, the disciples are praying in the house. They say, now, Lord, look upon their threats. Like, like, they are acknowledging the risk. They're acknowledging they're not in denial. Like, they understand that there's threats out there. 
Like if we keep preaching in the name of Jesus, if we still demonstrate, you know, the power of God, God's goodness, like there could be a cost. It could be our lives. It could be prison. It could be look upon their threats and give to us a spirit of boldness. The same boldness that was on Peter and John. The same boldness that got them into trouble. They're saying, God, we, we know what's going on. We know the risk. We know the threats. But God, do it again. Do it through our lives. And there's something about that. There's something about these guys in Acts that they were risk takers, that they were just so full in love with Jesus, and they had such a conviction of who Jesus was and seeing the Holy Spirit come that they're like, hey, I, we don't care. Like, we, we understand the consequences. This is where we're going. I love that. I love, I mean, this is incredible. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. And I feel like there's just, there's an impartation that God wants to release to the church today, especially the church in America, not just in Medford, but a spirit of boldness. An impartation for boldness uh, that, that looks upon the threats of the enemy, that looks upon the threats that maybe government or whatever, and we say, hey, we're still going in a place of love. We're still go, going in a place where we're representing Jesus well. And that's not, that's a non-negotiable. We cannot compromise representing Jesus well. And coming from a place of boldness that demonstrates that's not, with, with any shame, it says, I'm in love with Jesus, and this is what happens when you fall in love with Jesus. Like, you find life abundantly. You get to have eternal salvation. You get grafted into a bloodline, a family, that is the father, like, creator of the universe. He's your dad. Like, that's pretty epic. Uh, I remember uh, I was living in Michigan, in 2001 and the lord woke me up in the middle of the night and said chad pack your bags i'm sending you to the nations and i knew that meant i needed to move back to southern california and you know go to the nations that means i must be going to africa because everyone that gets called in america to the nations goes to africa so so i was going i had connections to zimbabwe and i was going to go to zimbabwe and i was reading this book jesus freaks uh which is an amazing book on the persecuted church and that the current persecution in 2001 in that book was like China, the Middle East, and then also Indonesia. And so I went to a Delirious concert. I don't know if you ever heard of Delirious, but there, the Majesty, uh, my favorite song is Obsession. Uh, my heart burns for you. It just pretty much sums it all up. And, uh, and so I went to this Delirious concert in L.A. Matt Redmond was opening for them, and they were singing Obsession, had my eyes closed, worshiping, feel his hand on my chest, this guy speaking in tongues. I open my eyes, and it's Martin Smith uh, from, the, from the lead singer of the band, Delirious, and he's a uh, God's calling you to the nations, but he's not just calling you to the nations, he's calling you to the islands, the islands. Are you listening? Like, you're going to see the power of God on the islands. And I'm going to Zimbabwe. So I'm like, well, forget Zimbabwe. Uh, and then I, you know, knew about the persecuted ch church in Indonesia, and I always would be praying, God, I don't care, like, how crazy I have to go. Like, I will go to the persecuted church to encounter you. Like, because you would read these stories of these people that were persecuted, and they would have encounters with angels. They would have encounters with Jesus. They would see supernatural things happen. And I'm like, yeah, sign me up for that. Like, I don't care if I go to the persecuted, like, my, my life's in jeopardy. I just want to see Jesus be Jesus. I want to see him be the same yesterday, today, and forever. Like, I don't care what it looks like, where it has to be. I just want to know God. So I tell my parents, hey, I'm, I'm going to go to Indonesia. And my parents are like, well, what do you know about Indonesia? And I'm like, well, I've been reading this book about people being killed for Jesus there, so that sounds like a lot of fun. And so we look up the Jakarta Post, which is the major newspaper of Indonesia, and it says thousands of Christians killed by Muslims today. And I'm like, sweet, yep, that's where I'm going. And so my parents are like, well, you should probably go with the team. You should probably go with, like, YWAM or something. So I start researching YWAM, and I'm praying. And the Lord's like, I want you to go by yourself. And I'm like, wait, what? And so I go to my parents, and I say, I think the Lord's telling me to go by myself. And they're like, oh, no, that's the spirit of stupid. That's, 
That's, that's the enemy right there. And so we went on a, a, a water fast. And on the third day of this water fast, I hear the audible voice of God say, Chad, I will be your covering. I will go with you. Is that good enough? And I said, yeah, that's, that's good enough. Like, you're, you, you provide a pretty awesome covering, and you coming with me is pretty epic. And then uh, my parents literally took a walk with me on the beach in Newport and said, you know, I had a one-way ticket. So they said, goodbye, we'll see you in heaven. Uh, <laughs> like, literally, like, we might, I might ne- never see my family again. And last second, another friend of mine jumps uh, with me on the trip. So, you know, I felt like that was really biblical. He sent people out by twos. So there you go. I had a, had a buddy. But I had no mini, I brought surfboards with me. It's really good surfing there. Um, I brought surfboards with me, and I thought, you know, I'm going to pray and surf because I don't have any connections. I don't have, you know, there's nothing. And I'm 19, I'm 20 years old. And so I show up there where it's like day two or three, and I see this guy on the beach, have an open vision. I don't, like, the prophetic has always been very natural to me, but I never really, you know, Bethel gave me a lot of language in 2002 after this trip to Indonesia of what the prophetic, like the language and all that stuff. So I just had this picture, and I'm like, oh, here you go. And I gave this guy this picture I saw. He starts weeping and goes, hey, I run schools and ministry all over Indonesia, and I would love to send you to these schools to teach. So in about four months, I went to three, 30 different islands and um, saw crazy, crazy stuff. So let's go with, there's a lot of crazy stories, but... Um, uh, there was one where we were walking and these guys came running down this tree, like they were running down the tree with spears in their hand. And I looked over at my translator, who's Indonesian, he's a lot darker than me, and I look over at him and he's wider than I am at that moment, which would communicate to me he's scared. And I said, what, what's the matter? And he goes, well, the last people that came here got eaten. They're, they're, this is a cannibalistic tribe. And we don't start praying. And I'm like, okay. And then they start, like, you know, yelling at us and all this stuff. And I said, what are they saying? They're like, well, they want us to come over for dinner to their village. And I'm like, yeah, we're going to be the main course. Like, or you're the appetizer. I'm like the big American that just, you know, you could eat for days. So I was like, okay, God, you got to show up. So we go into this village, and there's a lot of animalistic stuff and uh, um, like spiritualism stuff in these villages. So they have this altar to this god that they worship. And they had a chicken, a live chicken. They had all kinds of other stuff. And I saw this demon manifest, you know, going through the jungle. Like you hear leaves break, you know, all stuff. And then you see him. And I see this like nine and a half foot demon eat a chicken, grab the chicken. And uh, that was pretty nuts. And I was like, and something to me, I don't know about you, but when you have been walking with God and you've seen him show up time in and time out, something happens when the enemy tries to manifest himself where it does a trigger effect of, I know, oh, I know how big and awesome who my God is, and something in you gets really excited because you're just like, oh, that's going to be epic. God is going to do something awesome. <laughs> And so this faith thing, this like, you know, and that's that spirit of boldness, but also that thing of faith. I mean, it is, you could feel a gift of faith come on you. It's pretty epic. I've had the gift of faith come on me, I don't know, probably around 20 times in my life, where you actually feel the hand of God come on you, and you look at situations where you see it from God's perspective, and you have this incredible amount of faith where like every inch of you is not in doubt Every inch of you is in agreement with the Spirit of God where you just say, get up and walk, and they get up and walk. It's epic. In Mexico, I've seen that where this woman had rheumatoid arthritis, and she was in a wheelchair for 15 years, and I'm in the middle of speaking about the Holy Spirit, and I'm not speaking about healing or anything, and I just, in the middle of my message, I just feel the gift of faith come on me, and I just go, get up and walk in the name of Jesus. And I almost, sometimes when you're in the gift of faith and you, like, are doing things, it's almost, you have a little bit of conversation in your head sometimes of, like, what the heck are you doing? But, but you're, like, just going. You, it's crazy. I mean, it's almost like you want to grab the words and shove them back into your mouth. Like, like that's what I was like, what am I doing? But, you know, and then she gets a bit of the witch and starts running around. The, it was awesome. So I look at the witch doctor, who's, like, kind of the spiritual authority over the region, and I say, hey, bring me somebody in your village where your gods cannot heal them, and my God, who's the one true God, Jesus Christ, will heal them, and you'll know that this is the one true God. So he goes, well, the worst person or the worst, you know, uh, afflicted person is my son. 
who's 12 years old, born blind, deaf, and mute, and has uh, pain throughout his body. And every time we take him through the, you know, ceremony stuff of like witchcraft, he gets even more in pain and more afflicted. So they bring the son over, me and the translator, we lay hands on him, and he, um, he, his eyes open up and he starts pointing to his dad and then his tongue loosens and he starts saying dad 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 daddy dad 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 and then and then uh his ears opened up and um and he got up and walked and the dad was just weeping and crying he gets radically saved son gets saved and then I say, can we gather the village together? And so we gather the village, and then a couple surrounding villages came. And, I mean, I'm 20 years old. Like, I've not, I'm, I never had deliverance training, never had any healing training, gifts of spirit training, you know, salvation real training, just loving Jesus and wanting to see him. I just read the Bible and was like, okay, let's go and do this. Let's see this stuff. So... Uh, we gather the village, and he's like, hey, I need you, you know, like, share people about Jesus. And I go, no. See ya. No. I said, you are the spiritual authority of this land. You need to tell the people what God did for you, what Jesus did for you. And then I want you to lead the people to Jesus. So I just helped him. And, uh, and so he's speaking, and then he's presenting the gospel. And suddenly, it's about, you know, 200 people there start manifesting demons like mass deliverance, mass, you know, craziness, people levitating, people throwing up like projectile vomit. I know it's crazy, but that's just what happened, like seven foot distance. I mean, like, you know, there's some world record stuff going on. <laughs> and then there's like people slithering like snakes, trying to bite people. And I'm like, God, what do I do? Like, I don't know. I never, you know, I don't know. I, I faked a deliverance once, God. That's about it. Like, that's my... You know, and, and uh, um, but anyways, this is going on. And the Lord's like, you need to move in authority. It's, it's authority. They've, they've given the keys to the enemy. Like they're in bondage spiritually. They're chained spiritually because they've given their authority. They've, they've agreed with the enemy. And you need to have them all break the agreement. But first you need to release, take authority and release peace in the atmosphere. And I'm like, okay, sweet. So I just go peace. And then everyone, whoosh, you know, no more levitation, no more throwing up. And then I began to tell them about the open vision God gave me about their spirit men being in bondage and being, you know, it chained up. And that if they would agree with the spirit of God, if they would agree with the father, they'd break the agreement with the enemy. And then they would get, be spiritually free, physically free and emotionally free. And so they all agree with the spirit of God. They all begin to break covenant with the devil. And suddenly they all just start getting saved and they start weeping. And it was epic. It was amazing. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, another time, um, I took a three-day boat trip and was pretty exhausted, really, really, you know, like not the best food and all that stuff, and I thought I was just weak from the, from the trip. And I suddenly got a fever, slept 22 hours, woke up, got some water, went back to sleep for 20 more hours, Woke up, got some water, and the pastor woke me up after me sleeping another 15 hours, and he's screaming, Penesakali, Penesakali, which means very, very hot. And they took me to the hospital, and they drew my blood they, for malaria, typhoid, dengue fever, all those different things, and it all came back negative, like I didn't have malaria or typhoid. I had 105 temperature, about ready to reach 106. And the doctors and the nurses started crying because there's nothing they could do for me. I've been this way for about three and a half days. And they brought in a priest to give me my last rites. And, uh, and I'm laying there in bed, and I just reached 106. And that's when you start going brain dead. And so I was on 106, and I see these two uh, beings, these two spiritual beings come, that, and they look like angels. The, you know? So I was like, these two angels come. And they say, Chad, it's, it's your time. You have done everything you need to do in your life. It's time to go home and be with the Father. And so we need, you know, it's time for you to commit your spirit and just be with the Father. And so I'm like, okay, Dad, here I come. I'm coming home. I just, you know, commit my spirit to you. And I could feel the beginning stages of my spirit leaving my body. But then the pastor comes running in and starts screaming, the, the witches, the witches, the witches. And so what happened was, was, while I was in the hospital, 
these two witches came to the pastor's house, knocked on the door. The pastor's wife answered and said, and they said, is the white man dead yet? And she's like, well, he's in the hospital and he's not doing very good. And they're like, well, we were praying for him to die. And so he comes in and all I could get out was the blood, pray the blood. And that's all I could get out. And he starts praying the blood of Jesus. And within a half an hour, I was fully fine, 98.7. So I learned about spiritual warfare while I was in Indonesia. <laughs> and so I was talking to God in the jungles, and I'm like, God, why, you know, why did you send two angels to say it was my time when obviously it wasn't? He goes, oh, I never sent those angels. They're angels, but they're, they're fallen angels. So that was fun. You know, you have acts, a lot of close encounters to death, and um, I've had my share of that as well. Uh, we were, I was in Indonesia again, just to keep the theme going um, of Indonesia. I was preaching in a church in the fo uh, front foyer, uh, which is, you know, like just some wood and, and uh, some straw. It was blown up. There was a couple Muslims that tried to put a bomb in the front of the church, and uh, while we were preaching, it just blew up. So this explosion, uh, you know, injured a lot of people. We had to go running through the back of the church, and there were Muslims outside with weapons. Some had uh, guns, but mostly, you know, like farm tools that they used for weapons and all that stuff. And so we had to go running three miles through the jungles while these guys were running after us, and we swam about uh, half a mile out to a boat. And uh, that's where we found safety. So, yep, that was good. <laughs> I love that, though. Like, I know maybe, uh, I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's a blast to watch God show up and to have, you know, to protect you. Like, it's pretty epic. I don't know if you ever heard about the Bali bombings that happened in 2002. So, I was staying in Kuda, and the Lord woke me up in the middle of the night at, at 3 in the morning and said, if you want to live, you need to leave right now and get on a plane to Los Angeles. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what's going what's gonna to happen? Am I going to get knifed or, you know, you know am I going to get robbed? And so I get uh, on an airplane later that day, and I'm in Singapore waiting for my flight, and that's when the Bali bombings happened where I was staying. You know, so Acts was just a people that were being led by the Spirit of God. God's hand was on. It was people that were just completely yielded, saying yes, and wanting to do life with God, and wanting to do life with one another, and presenting, representing Jesus well. And so many awesome things happened, and that's what's available for us today. Like, you know, you... I'll never forget, I was junior high pastor for six months, and the Lord's like, you need to not share any more of your stories, and you need to create opportunities for your kids to get their own stories. And so here I am today sharing stories, but I want to tell you, God is creating opportunities for you to get your own stories. Breakthrough doesn't come from sitting on the couch, you know, but it also doesn't have to come by you going to Indonesia. It could be in Ashland. It could be down the street. It could be at Walmart. It could be anywhere. You know, I mean, just to wrap it up, I, I, we were seeing uh, legs growing out in our junior high group, like, like significant legs growing out, like six inches, you know, like, like there's hip problems, born, you know, with like, like missing half of the hip, but then God gives them a new hip, all this stuff. We saw over, documented over 130 legs grew out. And so it was pretty awesome. But these two kids, these two kids in the junior high group are like, you know what? Like when God does something, it's available for everyone. So we're not like, we haven't seen this out of our own hands yet. So we're, we're going to go to Walmart after school, me and you, and we're going to meet. Like these were two, you know, kids that were 11, 12 years old. Let's meet after school at Walmart and not leave there until we see a leg grow out. And so they're there. I get a phone call from their parents at like 630. Like, hey, are you doing some kind of outreach at Walmart? Because our kids are there praying for people. And I'm like, no, no, we just, we just have kids that love Jesus and love revival. Like they know what God could do. So every moment's an outreach moment, you know, like, it's a lifestyle, not an event, and so, you know, I'm like, so I, so they said, well, you just call them, so I call them, 
I'm like, hey, guys, what are you doing? They're like, oh, man, we've been here for three hours. We have not seen a leg grow out. It's crazy. It's ridiculous. We're here to see a leg grow out. I'm like, well, what have you seen? Well, we prayed for this one guy with a knee problems, left knee. He, he got healed. We prayed for this one woman with a back, lower back pain. She got healed. Prayed for this other woman with a headache. She got healed. And they listed off like eight or nine. Mar- I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, do you realize, like, you've seen more and the average Christian, you know, in the last out three hours, and, you, and then they see in a year, you know, like, this is amazing. But just keep going forward. It might be the last place you look. So they said, we're not leaving. And there's something about being tenacious. There's something about putting a stake in the ground that these guys in Acts did of, you know what? Like, we are not going to stop until we see breakthrough. And so they, they've seen all these healings, but they had not seen the thing that they're going after. So it's 9 o'clock at night. They're discouraged. They've been there for six hours. They had not seen a leg grow out. They call their parents and say, will you come pick us up? Because they're like 12 years old. And uh, will you come pick us up? And, uh, and they're walking out in the parking lot, and there's this guy in a motorized cart. And they go, well, you know, we're here. We're waiting. Like, and this guy's here in the wheelchair. We should pray for him. So they go and approach him and say, hey, you know, we, we noticed you're in this wheelchair. Like, why are you in the wheelchair? Can we pray for you? Oh, well, I was born with a leg shorter than the other. And uh, so I said, oh, well, can we pray for you? And they pray, and they watch his leg. Like, it was like five inches. Just go up. And he gets up out of the motorized car, ends up, like, dancing in the parking lot with them, donates the motorized park to Walmart. (laughs) It was awesome. So just put your hand on your heart. So, Lord, I just pray for a stirring of boldness and faith in the room. Lord, that we would know that there's so much more to see, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what you did in the Church of Acts, do here in Medford. Lord, there would be a spirit of unity in this place. There would be a place of hunger. There would be a place of, of discovering your goodness. And Lord, that you would go into all nations. You would go to all cultures. You would go into all neighborhoods. And, Lord, that there would be a place of ownership in this church for their city. And that you would begin to open up the eyes and ears of the lost of this city. That there would be an incredible harvest in this place. And let us have lots of fun. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you guys so much.